0: This is Diana Marie, and you're listening to Hoobazoo.com.
1: Stain concrete You're the dead MC Flying at my feet You took a 9 millimeter rhyme Straight to your mind Damn, my better split this is, this is my time So I make my way up the block Get to home base And lock that Ruck uh. Crack the classier And grab the phone Call one of my troops up Hope the soldier's when he says Yo, hey, what's up? What's going on? Make it quick Cause I'm trying to get my stellar on Go you uh. girl, I'm in the These lyrical assassins tried to pull a hit And then boom, came a noise from the other room It was the boys in blue with the SWAT crew They got us locked up for lyrical murder It's one of them charges that you never heard of It's the booth, the booth, the booth, the booth booth. Yeah, it's the the booth, the booth, the booth Yeah, we're killing all your podcasts like the HIV virus. You want to battle this kid? Come, don't even try this. Back the... Uh. Come, think again, count to ten. You want to grab that mic just to get done in? It's The Booth. The Booth. The Booth. The Booth. booth. Yeah, it's the The Booth. The Booth. The Booth. The Booth. Yeah, it's The Booth. to the booth. It is July 6. I hope everybody had a happy
2: Independence Day over the weekend. Uh pretty much kind of a rainout uh everywhere except for the last last little bit of the day, Monday, the observed day. Luckily we had that and was able to kind of you know get that back and going for us but uh hey we got a big show tonight and um as you guys can see my two guests are already here my sponsors already down in the bottom corner i gotta thank solomon Clark of solomon clock music for being on last week with his artist well his buddy his producer artist was for coming on last week and tonight i got my legal guys attorney Ken diesenhoff and they've got u.s retired jag colonel Robert Resnick in the house, R squared, Ken Diesel, respectfully, <laughs> when they're on the show. And um, tomorrow, I got to mention I'll be joined by Mayor Robert Sullivan, who will be on. And later on in the month, I'll have personality, a personal accountability coach, Andrea Mason, will be on. Um, it's kind of like a professional slap somebody upside the head. I'm going to assume that's what she is. Uh, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I got to get my sponsors out here. Michael Douglas Barretto mdb electronics if you have a controller that's broken need to fix send it out 24 hours back in the house ready to go rebelrom.com that's my cousin's clothing site you want to make sure you check her out and also tactical target systems that's the guy who sends me out uh, my zombie targets that you see um, i've been going to the range spend some time there went out and shot last week uh, the other day and last week um, shooting the rifle 40 cal uh, I went 100 yards out this week. Good stuff. Next week, I'm going to try to get out there with Ken. Hopefully, we can get R-Squared up here and maybe do some stuff when he comes up here. Viana Marie's music, all platforms, streaming. Make sure you check her out. And let's get right into this. As you as you see, my guys are on here. The big announcement that I wanted to make an out tonight is that my guys will be on here once a month. The first Tuesday of every month will be Ken Diesel, R-Squared. These guys will be coming on. What we'll do is we'll take a month's worth of pertinent topics that we think should be talked about and, and break them down. Um, so it's kind of a different format. It's more of a news booth, legal booth type of thing, and maybe a little bit of Biden bombshells. But as far as entertainment sports, that stuff will be held off for a different show or like tomorrow's show with the mayor. But we got a lot of stuff. I got to get right into the news booth. And this is something that happened here in Massachusetts over the weekend. And r is the guy. This is the guy that's been talking about this for the last two, maybe three years on this show, whenever we talk about militias and things of that sort. And I've always condemned militias. And to be honest, I don't care what race they are or what, you know, creed or whatever. I think all militias who who don't respect government or for, or, 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 or see government as something or don't see law, I think they're all wrong. I think they're all bad. I think they're all to be considered terrorist organizations. Um, This group here, the Rise of the Moors is the name of the group. 11 men, one of those was a minor who was released to his parents, uh, were charged with eight counts of unlawful possession of firearms, use of body armor, they had body cams, Um, this is in commission of a crime, possession of high-capacity magazine, improper storage of firearm and vehicle, and conspiracy to commit a crime held, and they were all held on a $100,000 bill after a nine-hour standoff with Massachusetts State Police this weekend. With in a, in a short story, Massachusetts State Police officer pulled up as they were refilling gas on a car that must have ran out of gas. Uh, guys were holding long rifles. They had sidearms. They were dressed in paramilitary uniforms. When the officer asked them what they were up to and what they were doing, several members refused to provide uh, any type of proof of identification. Um, Then they went on this whole rant about it's their right And this type of stuff And um, it went on for about five hours And then what happened was When he called for backup These guys broke off into the woods And uh, took up perimeters And started streaming on YouTube This whole interaction There was some contradictions there They're claiming that they're not anti-government And this and that Uh, Some groups are saying that they are I, I, I don't know but I'm gonna let Ashwin speak on this because we, you've talked about this, you've talked about these groups, and like I said, it doesn't matter what color they are; these groups are wrong.
0: Yeah, first of all, I agree with your characterization. No, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, you mean you talk about these groups generally. You know, as far as this group goes, it did make the national news. I mean, we—I don't know that we in the rest of the country got all the same information that you have from the local news coverage there in Massachusetts. But uh, for example, I saw. Conflicting news reports, one that they were sort of a sovereign citizen type movement. In other words, they do not recognize the legitimacy or authority of the United States government. And another report that said that that was not the case. So I'm I'm not sure, but it it almost doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you're talking about degrees of criminality. And so who cares at that point? This is you know, this this is where we're at right now. This is the critical time in our history that we have been talking about. And, and those of you that, that listen to the show regularly and are familiar with you know the, the topics when Ken and I come on and join Sinister One, you know that I don't engage in hyperbole and I, I don't overstate things. I really don't. I like to take a calmer approach. But this is the threat, a threat that we have never faced before. And you know, people can differ on how exactly you want to define a militia group, but It is safe to say, and I have spent my lifetime going back to the early 1980s, looking at these groups. This is something I've been interested in going a long way back. And so I'll challenge anybody's knowledge to stack up with mine on this. But I have never found any such militia group, however they want to define themselves, to be within the constraints of the law. They are not protected by the First Amendment because they take themselves outside of the First Amendment. They could be protected, but they're not because of their actions, not their words. And so the bottom line is every one of these groups stands for something that is an exact violation of the Bill of Rights, in violation of our democracy, in violation of our democratic or governmental institutions, in violation of our national security, in violation of our freedom. I can go on. I won't. Uh, And so I, I defy anybody to give me an example of any such group that doesn't meet that criteria. That said, what do we do about it? Well, the reason that these groups have flourished is twofold. Number one is they have been very, very clever about hiding themselves. Now, what, what does that tell you if somebody has to hide? It means they know they are engaging in criminality. You don't hide if you're doing nothing wrong. These groups hide uh, and, and this group in particular even demonstrated that, right? Because they, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, they got caught on the side of the road. They weren't planning to be there and, and you know, state trooper was up on them. And, yeah, and, you know, the way that they were dressed and with their their firepower and everything else, they were, you know, the fact that they went and hid in the woods and drew up defensive firing positions, you know, that they were up to no good at that time and by their actions. And and so you know, it, it may not be something that can absolutely be proven in a court of law, and that's not my point right now. My point right now is to make sure that every American understands that this is the biggest threat we've ever faced. We easily could stare down the Soviet Union and the Chinese and any other enemy we faced if they dared to invade our shores and threaten our way of life. We would win those wars. They would be ugly, but we would win those wars. We have ignored this war and you know you could say it's politics and right now with the modern day 2020 republican party it is politics they've decided that that's their only ally right now that they they would rather ally themselves and they have formed an alliance with these militia groups and supremacist groups as the only way they have a chance to win elections because they have forfeited their any ideology they used to have they're no longer the conservative the traditional conservative party i could respect that difference of opinion i could respect those debates over policies that's not what we have right now. We have a threat to democracy. We have a threat to the Constitution. We have a threat to the freedom and equality of the American people. And if people thought that we had a way to go before, wait till you see what happens if these people gain power. And uh, and, and I'll conclude with this because I don't want to take up the whole time here. Mm-hmm. The last thing I will say is something that I learned uh, just yesterday. There are over 700 <coughs> uh, Republican candidates thus far, there will be more who have filed their papers, uh, to run for either the house of representatives or the Senate. So over, over 700 people running for, uh, approximately 465 or so positions. Uh, so they'll have to win some primaries over one third of those people, uh, approximately 250 to 300 of those 700, uh, are part of uh, or affiliated with in some way, this philosophy. Okay. That should scare the bejesus out of people. Excuse me there. Uh, There was just a primary race in North Carolina. If anybody follows us on the corridor on Facebook, you'll see that we posted that there was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Walker who won the Republican primary for the North Carolina state house. And he said, God is a racist. God, uh, he he said, yeah, God is a racist and 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 God hates blacks, I think. And and the Jews come from Satan and all that stuff. That was his platform. And he won the Republican primary for his race down in North Carolina. Now, Don't say, oh, that's crazy. North Carolina. North Carolina is not that crazy. They have their moments. Uh, This is a state that's considered a swing state these days. And. It isn't so when I saw that, I said, you know what? He probably there must have been, you know, 10, 12 candidates in there, and somebody won with 12% of the vote, and some kook gets 12% because everybody else splits the the, the sane person vote. No, he got 65% of the primary vote. 65%. I can't think of any, just I know a lot of Republicans. I can't think of 65% of any group of Republicans that I know. I'm sure Ken will disagree, but uh, of people that I know <laughs> that would vote for a kook like this. I mean, I mean, they're not, you know, granted the, the congressional Republicans have lost their minds, but there are a lot of, you know, some good Republicans out there. I hope you're listening tonight and you take this to heart and you do something about it. But um, the bottom line is this guy won 65% of the Republican primary vote. That is astonishing. That and that tells you where we are right now with the threat that these groups pose. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to monopolize that. Answer. No, no,
2: no, no, no. no that, that, because you, you've, you've been the one that's been on this whole topic when it comes up. You've been the guy that's been giving out the solid, you know, information. You've been following this and you've been talking about the fact that a lot of these groups have a lot of ex-military guys and ex-police officers. And and you said you had said it yourself. You said that if anything like this was to happen. You said that you got to worry because some of these groups are backed with a lot of money and they have a lot of training. And you said that, you know, you really don't want this to go this way. It's ugly. And like I said, it doesn't matter what color. Now, what scared me the most is when the uh, state police officer who was on the scene, who was overseeing the media and our squids dog is making a debut here today. Look at her.
0: <laughs> Daisy insisted on getting on camera. So here she is for a moment. until she loses interest.
2: <laughs> so um, the police, the police captain who was on scene, uh, he made a comment. Up oh, here comes the thunder guys. You jinxed me. Um, what worried me was he had said that these groups are more common than people realize that have these, these ideologies that you talked about. He said that they come across these groups more than people really know about. Usually, it doesn't end up like this. So that let me believe, like, wow, this is R Squared was dead on, and which is why. Now, Ken, you're—I'm going to talk to you on this one. You know, you're a defense attorney. I mean, these guys that are going to be defended. I mean, what what leg do they have to stand on? They—they've got a hundred thousand bail. Um, you know, that the charges are there for them. And I heard people say, Well, you know, if this was a white supremacist group, uh this is and i and I and I wanted to say stop it. It has nothing to do with it if it's white. The, here's the problem. The problem is, is that the government and, and the state now are going after these groups now. We we said this. After what happened after January sixth, it don't matter what color your your militia is, you do stuff like this, they're coming after you. And I feel that this is they're gonna make an example out of these guys. I don't know, Ken, do you feel that way kind of?
3: Oh, absolutely. They're definitely going to make an example out of them. And I do think you made a very interesting point that January 6th was a watershed event for a lot of governments, both state and federal and county. Up until January 6th, a lot of these places, all these governments were willing to turn a blind eye to them. Yeah, they're crazy and they like running around the woods with guns, but they aren't doing anybody any damage. They're annoying. They're stupid. They're reckless, but they're not posing a threat to the systematic functioning of government, despite the fact that people and my, my good friend and, and you know yours as well, R-squared, has been sounding this trumpet since we were in law school together back in the 90s. Give me an idea of how long he's been sounding this trumpet. He's been talking about this back when we were in law school together back in the 90s. Give me an idea. He graduated in 91. I graduated a year later in 92. So we were together between 88 and 92. And he was uh, he was talking about that even back then. Of course, back then, a lot of the times they were using shortwave radio and ham radio to communicate and not the Internet. Only with changes to technology. But back then, pretty much pretty, everyone ignored them until January 6th when I said, oh, my God, they are a threat to the, to the systematic functioning of government. And I will say this, this is no longer, you know, a backwoods crazy people problem. They're now coming out of the woodwork, as Rob had uh, clearly pointed out in a number of his articles on the Corridor's website, and I recommend you read all of them. There are about 200 of them. Mm -hmm. They're really good. But he's been talking about this. And let me say something else. You asked me, how would I go about defending them? And if you remember, uh, since the one back years ago when DC versus Heller came out, we had a debate between Zeman and myself about what that meant. And DC and Heller, for the first time in the court's recorded history, said there's an individual right to bear arms. And there's been a number of motions filed in Massachusetts, and I filed some of them, okay, I'll admit it. It says our current gun legislation is unconstitutional because it infringes upon the freaks, the right to, to have firearms for our own protection. Every single one of those motions has been denied. Every single appeal has been lost, but that still it means they're still being active and being litigated. That's how I'd go about defending it. As for you, your point that this is nothing new. And I, with all due respect to my colleague, Colonel Resnick, I think that it is, we do have a precedent for this for this type of action. We call it the American Civil War.
2: That's when a group
3: of people who didn't like what's going on in the government decided to violently overthrow it. And they had taken over state governments. Now, it's very important to understand, and this is a very important point that I don't think people realize. At the time the articles of secession were voted upon in the states that left, less than 10% of the population was eligible to vote. Okay, if you were not a male over the age of 21, white, and this is probably the most important thing owned a minimal oh, amount right. of property, you couldn't even vote. So that means Rob and I, who are Jewish, couldn't vote. You, since the one, certainly couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. You aren't even deemed to be a citizen. Vienna Marie and everyone like her couldn't vote because they were women. Catholics couldn't vote. Buddhists couldn't vote. God forbid, I don't, I don't know if there are any Muslims at the time, but there could be. They couldn't vote. And even then, most of the states who voted to secede did not vote overwhelmingly. South Carolina, which was considered the most concert, most pro-secession state, guess what the vote was, percentage-wise, for, for and against secession. This will shock you.
2: Against, right? And,
3: no, no, the majority of people voted for secession in South Carolina that voted. What right. was the split? What was like the percentage? What would you oh, say? Oh, the percentage. 35 not-
2: Thirty-five.
3: You're close. Forty voted, 40% voted against it, 60% voted for it. That means 40% <clears throat> of the people who were eligible to vote voted against secession. And that was the best they did. Most states was most states that left, like Virginia, was 5249, if we translate into modern terms. Georgia was 50, 50. Again, it was very close. So we're talking a minority of people caused the Civil War. And if you think that's bad, imagine what they can do now. All of these groups were in the uh, shadows. And because of Trump, and, and I think actually this is a good thing, he's brought them out of the shadows. Yes, And now we're facing mm-hmm. them head on. And, if, and, and you and, and Rob asked a question if I any, you know any Republicans who would support these people and I've had a lot of conversations with, with a lot of my colleagues who are conservative and they say the same thing oh they're, they're just the radical wing of the party and you Democrats said the same thing you know you got the Black Lives Matter which <laughs> are terrorists and you know the woke people this is just you know our you know it's like oh, no goodness. that's the problem oh. the modern Republican Party tolerates these people and as Rob pointed out, correctly that's the only way they're going to win elections that and something else i think we should talk about a little later on the new voting restrictions we're getting into that
2: oh yeah that's on the table (laughs) but but
3: that's the only way they can win because their policies are incredibly unpopular if you look at just the policies out there their platform as much as there is one i would argue i would with rob on that there they really don't have a platform is incredibly unpopular Example, Obamacare. What has been their, their great their great true to it, right? Against Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Right? They're trying to overturn it. You know where Obamacare is some some of the most popular uh places? Let's try this again. If you went to the world rural, rural south and the world west, do you know how popular Obamacare is? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly
2: popular. Yes, it is. Those statistics, and I have seen those I have, numbers.
3: I have seen people get up, you know, in their Johnny Red gear, claiming that, that you know, Barack Obama was it was an undercover Muslim and saying, don't take my Obamacare away from me.
2: <laughs> Craziness. Craziness. And this is how we do people. I can't people. make
3: that stuff up, man. I can't <laughs> make it up.
2: And this is what we do here in the booth when these guys come on. We break it down. These guys have experience. These guys are no BS. You know. This hey, is can I offer I have... one other point? Of yeah, I
0: sure. Either... Go for it. Go for it. Holy the people listening might find this interesting you know i know we're going to talk about afghanistan later and i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but yeah. there are there seem to be more people right now concerned about what the taliban might do in afghanistan to what these groups might do here in the united states despite january 6 and i could tell you for all you hypocrites that seem to care about what the taliban might do to in afghanistan it's the same thing as these groups. Maybe not the exact ideology, but they're no different. If you care about the Taliban, then you ought to care about what's happening domestically. And guess what? Let's fight our home battle. Let's fight right, this home battle and it. win
1: it. Yeah, cause I'll it's save it's,
0: my Afghanistan
2: talk for later. Yeah, it's because it's this, this well, thing it, is going to sneak up on us. Ahead, hold Ken. on a
3: second, if I, if I may. And this has been one of my favorite true choices. By the way, Rob, I happen to agree with you 110%. And I raise this point all the time. I said, you know, how can you, on one hand, criticize the Taliban, which I think people should criticize, at the same point, not criticize these right-wing Christian militia groups. And every time I hear the same thing, you know, they oftentimes tell me, oh, there's no difference. And I ask them, OK, there, there's a difference. And what's the difference? Well, we're a Christian nation. And they're just trying to, you know, protect their Christian values. OK, first of all, let's get something straight. We are not a Christian nation. We're not a Jewish nation. We're not a Muslim nation. When it comes to religion, we're neutral. We don't want the state involved in our religious affairs. Right. Okay, First Amendment. Congress shall establish no law establishing or interfering with religion. Okay, so they firmly believe that the the main difference is one Christian is one Muslim, and Christians equal light and goodness and white, and Muslims are dark, bad, and evil. And that's a difference to them. So they have no problem with theocracy. They have the problem with which theocracy you're going to choose. And to them, it makes a big difference. Me personally it doesn't and i'm willing to bet rob and keith would probably agree with me
2: yeah i agree i agree we got a lot of people in the chat joe benson thank you for watching dave hagany kevin jeffrey's host of happy hour with Lido, maddie c he's on there george bain what's going up all you guys out there on youtube and facebook but we got to move along we got a lot of topics to talk about i'm gonna let r just kind of give us a little update r is down there in florida Not far from Miami where we had this tragic collapse. Four more bodies found today. Um, You've got Elsa rolling through. Um, Have they stopped any searches while this storm rolls through down there? Can you just give us just a quick update?
0: Yeah, quick update. Uh, Obviously, there are still over 100 people missing and over 30 people confirmed dead. Uh, and And you know let 's face it overwhelmingly of those one hundred still missing, those are going to be people that they pull out of the rubble dead i mean there 's just not a realistic chance that they 'll be found alive. There may be a miracle out there, but there won 't be one hundred miracles out there so reality is is what it is, but they want to do it for the families, they want to give them closure, they want to be able to identify everybody and and, and allow the families to do what they feel is the, you know the right way to conclude. Uh, thankfully, Elsa went wide left, uh, and, and really swung around into the Gulf a little bit further West than, than originally plotted. It's back to a hurricane, but it's going to hit Tampa, uh, and Miami, you know, other than some, some, uh, thunderstorms and, and wind gusts really didn't get the, the big thrust of the storm. And, uh, so they, they, they've had to stop for moments because of the weather, but they haven't had to call off the search.
1: Oh, so that's
2: a good thing. That's a good thing. So we would like to see that continue on. And again, prayers and blessings go out to those families who lost loved ones uh, out there. Moving on into the legal booth, um, as we talked about here, got to get these guys involved and talk about this one. Um, Derek Chauvin last week, uh, 22.5 years by the state uh, for the murder of George Floyd. And now they're looking to cut a federal plea deal. I want these guys just to kind of break this down just kind of real quick. I'll let Ken do this one. As to why they're trying to cut the plea deal, my feeling is is that they want to try to just get the same type of answer or the same type of 22-5 so it can run concurrent. Is that kind of what they want to do? They don't want to risk going to trial and ending up with a longer life sentence. So they're, just, they're probably like, look, just cut a deal. You, you don't want to... Risk going to court and get stuck with life this time, and have it added on where you'll never get out. That kind of what's going on here.
3: Well, well, if you're if you're the if you're his defense counsel, is exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying okay. to run everything concurrent. And also, the federal in the federal system there's a the possibility of the death penalty theoretically, oh. although it's very unlikely.
2: Okay. Um, so they kind the of want, thing- so they want to just kind of take all that other stuff, intangibles off the table, and just be like, look,
3: right. Exactly. And there's also the, the you know, there's the uh, inevitable loss of this coming down the federal civil rights charges as well. And also there is a question of fundamental fairness. He's already been tried by one jurisdiction for one set of facts. Why are we retrying him again? If you remember the Rodney King verdict, the reason they tried him in federal the federal system was because they're not guilty, is they were allowed to do that because you had two independent jurisdictions, a federal and a state. And I think what he's going to say is, look, he got tried by a jury of his peers. He got found guilty. He's going to do 20 years for you, you really it's really a question of fundamental fairness to give him another trial in federal court on the same exact facts and using the same evidence from the pr- first trial and as a criminal defense attorney i kind of agree with that notion
0: okay.
3: yeah the the state got their their ounce ounce of fle- ounce of um uh, so they're pounding <laughs> the flesh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah they sure did yeah. you
3: know it's clearly that this guy's not going any place he's not going to make parole, at least for a little little while We've got other fish to fry and going back to our previous comment, we should spend our resources on getting those militias off the street and concentrate on using our resources
0: that way.
2: Uh, Anything you want to add to that, before we move on? I agree with
0: everything Ken said. It's, you know, when the federal government steps in with their own criminal case, it's usually because the state either lost the case because, you know, the jury acquits or, or the prosecution doesn't file charges or, or whatever. The federal government rarely comes in with a case after a successful state case because it's really a, a matter of fundamental fairness. Uh, the fact is Chauvin was convicted of the most serious offense with which he was charged. He was sentenced accordingly. I know some of the families were outraged. They wanted a much greater sentence. I thought the judge outlined, excuse me, outlined um, his sentencing philosophy and and gave a formula and really explained the sentence in ways that people should say, you know what, agree or disagree, he laid it out, he did his job, the jury did their job, everybody did their job, Uh, it was a great conviction, Um, you know, whether or not, you know, nothing else really matters in that particular thing, he was, he was successfully prosecuted and successfully sentenced and now it's time for people you know to move on let's let's not that you forget about this case this was a very important case but there's no need for the federal government to to, to do you know additional um charges and on the very same facts as ken said we don't normally do that it's considered unfair um because he's already serving that time so if they want to make their charges now, because that's the new approach of DOJ, because of politics and all that, that's fine. They should plea it out. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't care if Chauvin never sees daylight again for the rest of his life for what he did. But as you know, on a, under a strictly legal analysis, um, I, I just don't I don't think that the federal government needs to do a whole separate uh, murder case.
2: All right. Cool. That's exactly what I want to talk about. Moving on real quick, we're going to just. We all know this one. Um, I'm going to let Rob do this one. Uh, Cosby Technicali, real quick in the nutshell. What
0: happened? Yeah, look, this is very, very simple. It has nothing to do with Bill Cosby. It has exactly. nothing to do with the allegations. It has nothing to do with the facts. It has nothing to do with the charges. The prosecution made a deal with him in the original set of charges that they said that they would drop the charges and not prosecute him if he would cooperate in the civil case. As a result of that, he waived his fifth amendment rights against self-incrimination and made incriminating statements in the civil case. Therefore in the, you know, that that's a binding agreement. Now, whether or not that should have happened, none of that matters. Now that's all decades ago. That's how it was done. And, uh, you know, and so you know nothing that the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania said, you know, vindicates Bill Cosby or anything like that, but the law they correctly decided the law, that he relied to his detriment on the deal. He waived his Fifth Amendment rights, and then they used those statements against him. That's what the court said. I understand that there are people out there, including one of the special prosecutors on the case that says that's not true or what have you. Okay, I got it. But the Supreme Court, the the, the record that was presented through the trial court, the appellate court and the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania all found that this is what happened. So I I understand that the prosecution may have a different theory of the case. I, I, you know, I spent more time in the prosecution myself. I understand their frustration about what happened. They couldn't undo what was done decades before. But the Supreme Court has spoken. And as a matter of law, they were correct. I have no idea whether everything was done properly at the time, but that's not the issue.
2: And counsel defense attorney, Ken, real quick. Absolutely. Everything
3: Rob says is absolutely correct. If I can just add one quick story here in Massachusetts, once the prosecution says something, they are bound by it both legally and under the rules of professional responsibility and the special rules that apply to prosecutors. If I can make a quick, Digress to a case of mine. I had a case out in Worcester County where this exact same issue occurred. There was an agreement. The prosecutor went on record, verbally, nothing in writing, that said he was not going to use a particular piece of evidence at trial. <laughs> For whatever reason, signals got crossed, and the prosecutor the prosecutor actually handling the case used that evidence, saying, Ooh. and he's excusing, look, I never agreed to it. It's nothing in writing. The judge agreed with him. We appealed it. I was the appellate attorney, and the DA's office, instead of challenging my brief, said, Yep, we screwed up. We should never have done it. That's the sole law. You can't do it. And the appeals court agreed with me. So, this is nothing new, people. Once a prosecutor says something, good, better, or indifferent, they are stuck with it. Should they have done it? No, I don't think they should have, but that's not the issue. That wasn't the freaking issue. The issue is the DA says something, they're stuck with the, uh, a deal, good, bad, or indifferent.
2: Mm. Good stuff. I, I wanted you guys to just break that down and touch on that real quickly. Moving on in the legal booth. As you guys know, there's a humongous behind the scenes that not many people are following it, but I am because I've been a big guy following this. The opiate lawsuit is going on uh, out of the state of New York. Huge. This is a huge historic lawsuit. We've been talking about this on the show. Already, already a lot of big farmer is settling out of court. And here's the irony of it. Johnson and Johnson just came out. They settled over the weekend. Two hundred thirty-six million. They're going to pay out to this opiate lawsuit for their wrongdoing. But guess what? Johnson Johnson's going to make all that money back on the vaccinations that they created. So describe the irony in that. Um, CVS has also now settled. CVS has now settled for an undisclosed amount. They've saved their asses, so to say. Um, the other three big companies that are still involved in this opiate lawsuit is Walgreens. Rite Aid, which is pretty much closing up everywhere you look. They're all closing up. So I wouldn't be surprised if they claim bankruptcy. And Walgreens. So Walmart, Walgreens, and Rite Aid are the other three that were named in this humongous opiate lawsuit. This is historic. The amount of money that's going to be paid out at the end of the day. And here's the funny thing. Walmart was involved with this whole vaccination patient thing. If you guys remember, Donald Trump was up there. The head of Walmart was up there. And I was like, what the hell is he on stage for? going to recoup that money that he's going to probably have to pay out in this opiate lawsuit. Uh, anybody want to chime in on this?
3: Well, I'll do it real quick. Uh, with all due respect to this one, I think they're getting away cheap. You know, they this was a clearly a drug that is worse than heroin being pushed legally. And this had been if, this, if it, this name had been not been OxyContin or heroin, people would be going to jail. And I think that what needs to happen. Is some people need to go to jail and their assets need to be taken under an a- asset seizure like they do with all of my clients.
2: Well, they're settling. These big corps are settling. But I know one thing been, that
0: I would yep. add is it's so hard to talk about this collectively because you have a whole range of levels of criminal culpability or, or civil liability uh, un, under these different organizations that are on the defense side of, of this lawsuit, obviously we have millions and millions of Americans who you know became addicted because they they had a prescription and became addicted because they were on a prescription they didn 't do anything wrong. You have Americans who became addicted because they abused prescriptions or whatever there 's a lot of different reasons why this started but on the defense side you know you 've got You certainly have big pharma that to some extent may have uh, you know engaged in in inappropriate marketing uh, they may have ignored or concealed the facts of, of how addictive how incredibly addictive their product was that that denied the doctors the ability to actually give their patients the proper advice. You have doctors who were just willy nilly prescribing this stuff without caring about how addictive it was so you know you 've got some really serious bad actors in this thing. you have some people that maybe uh we're on the the lesser side of things so you know yeah there are people who deserve to go to jail i absolutely agree with what ken just said there there are corporations that that deserve the the, the ultimate punishment there are individuals that deserve the ultimate punishment uh and then there are some other folks that we've got to figure it out as we go
2: yeah it's a tough one we're going to keep our eyes on it and um people just pay attention this is it's a big historic case watch who settles watch who doesn't settle Uh, watch who folds it's it's very interesting moving on in the legal booth um the capital siege lawsuit has begun across uh america there's a there's a ton of different lawsuits out there in regards to what happened on january 6th that's kind of dividing this country up behind the scenes and you know the militias are kind of tied into it um i squared you've been like you said you've been following this this whole but what 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 upset me the most there was a judge who was overseeing this Capitol siege lawsuit and um he was pissed because a couple of the republicans had got up there and said that January 6 was wasn't as bad as people thought and i think for any republican to get up there in this lawsuit downplay what happened January 6 should just i i just I would say they should lose this seat, but it looks like from some of the scary things like you just talked about in North Carolina. No, some of these people are building steam. So I'm going to let you start, and like Ken, give his thoughts on this capital lawsuit that's going on. It's ugly.
0: Yeah, you know it's absolutely ridiculous. Look, any anybody who watched five minutes of of the footage uh, knows exactly what happened. And if anybody has cared to learn the truth and I, w- I wish more people cared about the truth, it's one thing to have, you know, political affiliations and, and all that. I, I understand that. But, you know, let, let's accept let, let, let's accept the truth and then decide what we want to do about it. We can fight over that as a matter of policy. But the fact is, you know, if you watched it live for five minutes, if you what, there's some amazing reporting out there, including videos by, you know, new various news outlets. I don't know how many of that you've seen. I've seen a lot of it. Uh it is 100 percent it is certain as far as what happened that day. It was not peaceful protesting. It was not people that were taking a tour of the Capitol that day. I mean, all these people are are just abjectly lying and they know that they're lying, whether it's the members of Congress, whether it's the pundits, whatever, because there's absolutely not a shred of evidence to support this nonsense. We all know what happened, you know. I think it's a shame. I was really hoping that the commission vote would pass, uh, that we would be able to get this commission, and and obviously in the Senate it required 60 votes, and I think they could only Mm. get 55. They couldn't get more than five Republicans or six or whatever willing to to do that. Uh, That would have been a good answer. I think that would have given us a a good picture, at least the best picture we were going to get. It's never going to be 100 percent. Let's be honest about that. Uh, the next best thing is, of course, this House Select Committee, and, and we'll see what that can uncover. My point in saying that is, is this. The, everybody has a lot of questions. In my opinion, whether it's through legal channels of the Department of Justice, whether it's through the reporting of some of the media outlets, if you want to know the truth, it's readily available to you in, in abundance. But there are still some important questions. And this is controversial, what I'm going to say. So I led up to it. I want to know, the question that I want to know is why did the Capitol Police not open fire? And I know the answer to that, Ken. It's politics. They were told not to, right? Because these are Trump supporters. I got I see, it. I, see Ken. I want that. No, we all know the reality, yeah, right? Yes. Because Ken has said on this show before, and he's absolutely right, because I know this to be true from living in D.C. for a number of years. If you breach the perimeter of these federal government facilities, they use deadly force. That's the rule. And the protesters know that. So why did these protesters approach? And look, they didn't approach as peaceful protesters. You knew from the minute you saw them a mile away that they were angry and armed and violent. And when they got to the perimeter, they 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 demonstrated anger and violence and determination to breach the perimeter. And so You have to remember there are multiple perimeters. It's not just one. It's not like they just got to the doors and crashed their way through. There's an external perimeter, an internal perimeter, and then the doors. And at each one of those phases, maybe, maybe after the first perimeter, the, the Capitol Police could have fallen back to the second perimeter and at that point warned of the use of deadly force, and they did not. They did not warn of deadly force, and they did not use deadly force. And I want an answer to that question. I want to know who told them not to do it. That's what I want to know. And I think I know the answer to the question, and I think it was politics, and I think some of the Pentagon generals – that spoke about this, about not wanting the National Guard to be I – mean, remember that the Pentagon got in trouble because Trump used the National Guard to protect the, 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 the national monuments mm-hmm. months earlier from the Black Lives Matter protest. The Black Lives Matter protest never threatened the monuments, but it was this big show of force by the National Guard. The military got in trouble for that. And I don't know if they should have gotten in trouble. If, 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 you know, if nobody attacked the monuments, so what? Then they, were, they didn't interfere with the protests. But the point is they said we are not going to get in trouble again. Right. So they didn't want to be deployed. They didn't want to go and help. Okay, that's fine. But what was it about this group? And I think we know the answer to it, but I want the commission to investigate this. I want witnesses to testify about it. I want to hear it under oath. I want to see it in the written report. I want somebody to tell me why they didn't shoot every one of these blank, blank criminals. (laughs) Every one of those people was a criminal. Every one of them committed a serious felony. They, they injured over 140 law enforcement officers. And they didn't do it by accident. They did it by stabbing them with flagpoles. They did it by spraying them with bear spray. They did it by stomping them. They did it in the most horrific and violent and intentional way. Now, we 'll see what happens in the trials. They did a couple of the easy cases first, so we'll let's see what happens when they get to some of the bigger cases. I understand this is going to take a while mm-hmm. to get all these hundreds and hundreds of cases through the system i 'm not challenging what DOJ is doing. I think they're on the right track, but from the investigation standpoint from from what the select committee in the in the House is going to do because that 's all we 've got now, I want that answer
2: in writing. Hmm. Ken, I see you chomping at the bit. <laughs> okay. First of all,
3: I agree with ninety-five percent of what Rob I'll said. However, it. I will there are a couple of things that I think he was being kind. Yes. And he's a gentleman, he's an officer and a gentleman, and that's his bearing after twenty-four <laughs> years in the military. I'm a I'm a nine oh nine C E C cake eating civilian. Allow me to be rude. Those weren't criminals, those were insurrectionists. Yes. They were violently overthrowing the US government. They yes. don't get to get the protection of the color of law. Okay. Article 14 of the US Constitution clearly states that you if you are an insurrectionist, you lose your rights as a citizen of the United States of America. Okay. They clearly were intending to use violence to overthrow the US government. They brought a gallows with them when is the last time the black lives matter or even the jdl the jewish defense league which is a right-wing jewish organization brought a gas chamber or a gallows to a protest i am sorry deadly force was authorized and i said this before and i'll say it again i helped organize protests in dc i participated in protests in dc and we always tell people and i was always told by the organizers look come down there to protest Say whatever you want. The Capitol uh, Hill Police, the D.C. Police, the D.C. National Guard, the Federal Protective Service won't do anything until you put your toe on the steps of Supreme Court, your toe on one of the steps of the Capitol, or you touch the fence surrounding the White House. And your ass is grass, and we will not protect you. Every group's always told the exact same thing. That's the line of death. That's what Rob was talking about before about uh, defense in depth. you know, falling back to a much stronger position. I worked on Capitol Hill as a staffer many, many years ago, okay? And we had instructions on what happens if there was a terrorist attack. There are safe places in the Capitol where you're instructed to go if you're under attack. They're hardened point. So I'm not going to discuss where they are because that do not give anyone any information. But that, they exist for that reason. The idea is we're always briefed that the Capitol Hill police will give up certain space in order to have a more defensible position. That's standard. Ask any military person. I think Rob would agree. Sometimes you do this. Sometimes you constrict your, your area of operations, so which is easier to defend, easier to supply, let your enemy cover more ground. Deadly force was clearly authorized the moment someone, someone started stabbing or stomping them. There's no question about it. And I wish we had Zeman on, on to talk about that. And I know for a fact that the Capitol Hill police reports the architect of the Capitol. He is like the mayor of the Capitol. And that's appointed by the uh, Capitol board, which is basically representatives from the majority and minority party. And the people actually choose the architect of the Capitol, what would have been Mitch McConnell because he was the majority leader of the Senate, and that's who ultimately I think bears <throat> responsibility either directly or indirectly. And I think, and I think all of those Republicans who are backing these people should lose their seats because of Clause Two of the Fourteenth Amendment.
2: End of story. Mm, mm, mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm glad you guys came on and talked about that. But we're, we're, we're at 7:45, and we want to move on. Voting laws battle. Break this down for me, real quick. we got a lot of voting laws Arizona, Georgia, I believe California. Um, and I think there's one more state involved. You know, we've got these lawsuits going on right now where the Republicans went and they made a knee jerk reaction and wrote these new laws to kind of break up counties and districts. And now they're headed to Supreme Courts um, to fight this because they're saying some of these are illegal. I squared. I think we mentioned, I think it was Georgia wrote one. At the last minute or Florida. And you came right on. And you said these are going to end up in court. You called it. You want to break this down for us real quick and where we are with these five states?
0: Yeah. You know, look, Ken actually practiced in the courts on voting, you know, an election stuff. So I'm I'm, I'm going to make defer? a couple of okay. I'm, yeah. I'm going to defer to Ken and then I'll come back afterwards, maybe. But here, here's what I wanted to say based on on that. Most, first of all, there are, there are laws being passed in about 45 states. It's not just a handful of, you know, backwards, you know, southern states or, or what have you. Uh, some of them are going to be vetoed by the governors because they're Democrats or maybe even a couple of Republicans that have, you know, a, a modicum of intelligence left. Uh, Or or something like that. But uh, this is much more prevalent than people think. It's not just Georgia, Arizona or a handful of others. In fact, just today, uh, one of Trump's allies in the Pennsylvania legislature announced that they were now doing another inquiry into the 2020 results of Pennsylvania. Uh, And so people think, oh, Pennsylvania, Biden won Pennsylvania, whatever. Pennsylvania is a majority Republican legislature. The Democrats can't stop these things from happening as far as the legislature conducting these bogus hearings and, and enacting laws. Only the democratic governor can veto them. So this Republican ally of Trump and the le- legislature has the ability to conduct this sham hearing that they're going to have now to challenge the validity of Pennsylvania in 2020. But here's the thing, let me, let me just boil it down, right? So I, I looked now, Florida, for example. Um, Florida obviously was the embarrassment of the nation in 2000 with the hanging chads and all the problems with the Palm Beach County ballot. I vote in Palm Beach. I voted on that ballot. I know firsthand exactly how screwed up it was. Uh, And ever since then, Florida has been the model for the nation for almost 20 years after that in how to do uh, elections. And in 2020, Florida was a model for the nation. We have We have extensive early voting. We have vote by mail for everybody who wants it. And they count the ballots in advance, which is what Pennsylvania's Republican legislature refused to do to create the chaos that allowed Trump to make the bogus claims that he did. Same with other jurisdictions. The bottom line was everything was near perfect in Florida, yet Florida passed these these crazy laws, and Governor DeSantis, um, one of the dumbest governors in the United States, (laughs) – you know he is he really is i'm sorry if you live here you see the stupidest things coming out of his mouth on a daily basis but nevertheless um uh, you know, and 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 sign them into law. Well, we, what was the problem in Florida? Florida voted for Trump. Florida voted Republican. We've been voting for Republicans here for every statewide office for 25 years. republic- uh, Democrats have been shut out for 25 years, with the exception of Bill Nelson, the senator who Rick Scott defeated a couple of years ago. And 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 you know, so so I, they, what are Republicans fixing? They they you know, but nevertheless they did this. So here's the thing, right? Let me let me make my point. In most of these states, if you look at some of the major provisions of these laws, on the surface, they could pass legal test because it looks like they're neutral. It looks like they're just trying to maintain the integrity of elections. We all know that they have more nefarious purposes behind what they're doing. But if you read the text of the laws, and I'm sure Ken has read some of these. I've read a lot of them. If you read just the text itself, they almost don't look so bad. Right. And so most of these provisions could get through the courts because we all know they're trying to suppress the, the, the black vote or, or communities of color or lower socioeconomic communities. All the communities that tend to vote Democratic, they're making it harder for them to vote. And they've done it in ways that don't necessarily you have to really, you know, take a look behind, you know, read behind the lines, so to speak, to, to identify that. Um, and, and so a lot of these legal tests may challenges may not necessarily pass may not necessarily be successful here is what the problem is because what they've done in in all of the things that people are focused on about oh my god you can't give out water to people waiting in line you you have you you can't vote by mail more than a week before you know all these things we can get past those we can get past those people who are motivated to vote will stand in line they will they will cast their ballot in a drop box they will do the things here is the thing here is the existential threat that is going to pass. This is going to make things happen in Georgia and Arizona and all these places that we don't realize what they have done is they have made it. Remember, let me let me back up. Remember the secretary of state in Georgia, Mr. Raffensberger, mm-hmm. right? He stood up to this crap. That's right. He was the secretary of state. He, he I mean, what he did was heroic, even though all he did was his job. It was heroic because he was getting death threats and his family was getting death threats. So it made it heroic to do what was normally his job. Here's the thing. So what they've written in these laws across the country in various states is that the Republican legislatures can take away the secretary of state's powers. They can take away the governor's powers. They can overrule the results of the election. They can overrule the local county elections officials. They can overrule the state elections officials. Do you see where this is going? So what happens is all of these counties and states across the country that said, you know what, we may maybe we like the results, maybe we're disappointed in the results, but the votes counted and there's no irregularity, there's no fraud. Biden won, Trump won, this person won, that person won. There's no there's no challenge, no viable challenge to the results. What they what these laws are allowing them to do with no evidence. That's the kicker. It's not that you can it's not that they've created a system where if you have evidence of fraud you can raise it. No, you don't even need evidence. All you have to do is claim it and it overturns the election, or it allows the legislature to replace the result of the votes with what they want. That is what's passing in these states. That is the issue that the American people need to wake the crap up and realize. Because what is happening is, while Republicans have dominated the state legislatures, and I recognize that not every person in the state legislature is going to go along with this, but enough of them will or may, that The legislature in Georgia, the legislature in Arizona, the legislature in Pennsylvania and other states, if these laws were in effect in 2020, could simply say, we don't like the result, And we've heard that there's a claim somewhere out there, and therefore we're going to change the result from Biden to Trump. And the law allows them to do it that should scare the living crap out of everybody that is the threat to the, our democracy look i have i have supported candidates that won supported candidates that's lost I have despised some candidates that have won that I strongly opposed okay and that's <laughs> that 's the way it works in this country right we, we fight we fight it out and then the election's over and we say you know what okay we won these we lost these let's hope everybody's successful or maybe we'll come back in four years and try again whatever the case may be we don't throw out valid results we have never done that in our history and the minute we start doing that we become something other than than what we are we are no longer a democracy and these states these state legislatures have passed that now will they do it in 2024 based on the results you know first of all we don't know who's going to run we don't know who's going to win and we don't know if any of these legislatures will actually use the powers that they have now been given unless these laws are overturned somehow now, you would think something that blatant would be overturned by the courts, but, you know, Ken, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, and I'll stop in two seconds here. I don't know that on their face, yes, I would, I would absolutely challenge these things in court. I think I could make the argument to win. But again, if you take away what we know is their nefarious intent, and you just look at the black letter of what they're passing, I don't know how many states' court systems will overturn that. And that's why Congress needs to get off their butts and pass some kind of voting rights things. Because, yes, the voting system belongs to the states, but Congress can put some safeguards in place that say you cannot overturn the results of an election unless you have proper procedures and proper bases. I'll stop there.
3: Ken? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. First of all, again, I agree with, with 95% of what Rob said, and he, but, he met, but he left one very important point out. I always do. And that is virtually every buried in the fine print, and I have to admit, I didn't find it. Uh, a number of groups that I belong to found it for me, that once the legislature, legislature – uh, determines that there's been fraud and changes the results, they are non-reviewable by courts. A court right. may not come in and say that. It's very important. So the legislature can say, we're deciding who wins, therefore but a court can't come in and say, no, You no, nice try. They are non-reviewable by both state and federal legislation. This is what bothers them because basically this is ca- called federal nullification and we fought a war over that and that doesn't apply. So that's the first point. Uh, Number two, I di- I've done voting uh, litigation before I worked as a voting rights attorney. And this is the problem. There has never been a case which says that voting rights are the prerequisite of the legislator. Voting rights are always an individual idea. So the idea that the legislature can come in and change individual votes is very scary. This is a slow motion coup, mm-hmm. people. And I disagree with Rob. I think if you read this on their face, they're clearly discriminatory. Clearly, if you read the stuff from Texas, if you read the stuff from Georgia and Florida and Alabama, they clearly are designed for people who are middle to upper class, live in the suburbs or rural areas and discriminate against urban areas. I be believe that's
0: done. true. I think that they were clever enough that if you really try to push it to a friendly court, they're going to say, well, on its face... <clears> see, I disagree. I think any legitimate court, 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 court will say, make that. Yeah, Well, that's can... different.
3: That's a whole different issue.
0: Well, that's what I'm afraid um, of. Um,
3: yes, and I, I agree. I, they can make that argument. I think they're just wrong on that. Yeah. But the oh, other thing is, is this could be one of those things where you have the law of, of, law of un- unintended consequences. And like it or not, and I've had this criticism, a level that me and I love this criticism of other people. We as Americans are are very reactive. We are not proactive. We tend only to react to situations. And this could be the point where actually it may be good for people like us because they have, the Republicans have made these voting laws so obnoxious <laughs> and so clearly partisan that people don't have any other choice but to get act. Organized and exercised and get out to vote. And I'll give you a prime example. Stacey Abrams down in Georgia, when she ran for governor, got screwed. Yep. I and mean, yep. even Republicans were saying she got screwed. And yep. everyone said, and I and I and I'm talking about people on the left, my colleagues, your colleagues all said she's through. She lost the gubernatorial election. She's yesterday's news. She's become a pundit for MSNBC, and that's it. What did she do? She said, screw you all. I'm going to go in there and organize the people of Georgia and de- and deliver two Democratic s- Senate seats, which she did. I think this is what these things are going to do. They're going to force people to get organized. And I do say, I think, that there could be another voting rights bill either in this term or next term coming through. I don't think we'll get through this Congress only because it, the margins are too thin. But I think this is one of those things that could force people, especially the younger people getting organized, to say, this could be our issue. I and mean, People got to remember, voting rights as we understand them is a relatively new concept. Prior to 64, we had things like the poll tax and literacy tests and stuff like that. So this idea of individual voting rights is a relatively new thing. We, think, we tend to think that it's been there forever because we all grew up with them. But that's a relatively new thing. And I think this could be a rallying cry to get people got their off their duffs and off social media and actually go out and actually vote. But I do agree that Florida really, after the 2000 debacle, and I remember I was making, like everybody else, I was making, you know, Florida dick jokes and everything else like that. But Florida got their head out of their ass and really set the standard of how to run a proper election. And I knew that when I did my voter protection training, we looked forward to statutes that were in after 2000 and Say, see, this is how you're supposed to do it. And even Massachusetts modeled some of their voter modern, uh, modernization laws on that. So that is my one ray of hope that this will will, will come. Yeah. But mm-hmm. other than that, If I, I could
0: comment, I agree with everything yep. you yep. said, as, as usual, <clears> just, <throat> just two points. Um, You know, first of all, you're talking about what could happen with the next Congress, because this Congress may or may not be able to pass voting rights and other important legislation. Keep in mind that what these what these laws have done is going to make it much harder for Democrats to to win or main either either win new seats or maintain their seats because of the voter suppression issue. So what Republicans are doing is making sure that they uh, either get the majority of the House, which is, you know, it's only like five or six seats um, to switch it over. Uh, and the senate is 50-50 not you know either side doesn't need much here that it, it, right. you know to see so so all it takes is a couple of successful voter suppression issues in a couple of districts and there you go it switches sides so i don't know what's going to happen in the next congress more importantly what i wanted to say was that let's say, you know, if people don't understand why this is so important, I'll give you an example that would resonate with Republicans, since they're the ones doing this. You know, you could talk about shenanigans by both parties. The Democrats have never done anything like this. They, they've done stuff. Everybody's done stuff. We know that. They've never done this. Okay. And, and here's the thing. Let's say the, the, the rules that are being passed by these state legislatures are, are okay. And they, let's say they've been around for decades. 1984. Reagan embarrassed the crap out of Walter Mondale, who was a decent human being, by the way. Maybe he was too liberal, who knows why. Reagan won 49 out of 50 states. It was an embarrassment. Walter Mondale was humiliated and, and, and Reagan went on to a second term. Doesn't matter why, that's the fact. So let's say that these laws existed and Democratic-controlled legislatures, because Democrats controlled the majority of state legislatures in those days. Let's say the Democrats said, you know what, we think Reagan is a threat to this country. We don't like his, his fights with the Russians. We don't like his deficit spending. And so we're going to say Mondale won. Mondale, if these laws are okay, right, if all these Republican laws being passed in in 40 plus states right now are okay, then then that would have been okay for the Democratic legislatures in 1984 to say, no, Reagan didn't win our state. Mondale did. And Walter Mondale would have been the president in 1984. Does anybody think that that's right? Doesn't matter who you Mm. voted for. We all know that that's not what happened. Right. The voters chose Reagan. And And so, if the democratic legislatures would have been wrong to then say, "No, we sorry, we, there, there something happened here, this, this isn't how it was supposed to go, and we're going we're gonna to give our electoral votes to Mondale." no, of course not." Well, that's the same thing that they're gearing up to do in 2022 and 2024. That's exactly what they're planning to do. If Biden or some other Democrat wins reelection or wins election in 2024, they are prepared if they have the control of the state legislature to say, no, there's some issue out there. And whoever the Republican nominee winds up being Trump, DeSantis, you know, some some jackass out of, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, is the winner. That's what they're gearing up to do, folks. That's what this is. And it, you may not like it. That's exactly what it is. I dare you to, to say it's not.
2: Mm. Mm. Craziness. We're at 8 o'clock right now. We're going to keep going before, so we can be off here before 8.30. Um, I got some hit and run questions for you guys. Uh, we can get in and get out real quick so we can get into Biden bombshells. Um, anyone, can you answer me why Congress is involved with Shikari Richardson, this whole thing with her? My feeling is, is that she broke the rules and she should – serve her suspension as to whatever it's going to be. But now Congress is a, Congress is a whole action of looking over the FINA, which is what, um, you know, the world organization that has suspended her. Anybody know the answer to that one?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you. It's called politics. It's called the black women's vote. Um, and you know, to be perfectly cynical about it, uh, he, you know here 's the thing I, I saw some posts on on various facebook uh pages in the last day or so since this happened saying how you know other you know male athletes have used marijuana before, yes, but they used it after.
2: Yeah, Michael Phelps was after. Yes, Michael correct. Phelps
0: was after the Olympics, <clears throat> and, and they talk about Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte was suspended. He vandalized a bathroom in Brazil. He embarrassed himself in the United States Olympic Organization. He was suspended for doing that. He was humiliated for doing that. I can't help it if he was put on Dancing with the Stars. What? That's an honor. <laughs> that's an embarrassment. If you ask me, the stupid show like that. <clears throat> but nevertheless, so 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 ABC or 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 you know whoever produced that show decided to to give him that spot. So what? That has nothing to do with the Olympic Committee. Here's the thing. Like you said, Sinister One, the rules are the rules. Maybe the rules should change. President Biden yes. made mm-hmm. great comments yesterday. He said, look, maybe the rules should change, but this is what they are right now. That's right. And, and I do, I agree with him. I respect the way that she addressed it. She didn't deny it. She said, here's, here's what I'm battling. I mean, it was a very compelling case. If anybody deserves a chance, it's her. Okay. But the fact of the matter is she knew the rules. She knew the penalty. And I'm not condemning her for smoking marijuana to get over her depression or or stress or whatever. I I accept her rationale. But you don't do it when you're being tested on the eve of the Olympic Games. That's just stupid. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sorry, but that's just stupid. If you're going to do it, you don't do it a, a few weeks before you go to the Olympic Games when you know that these are the rules, you know that you're going to get tested. I'm very sympathetic to her. I hope that something can get worked out. I, I really I, do. I, she's I, a great athlete, and I want to see us do well at the Olympics. I love see, the Olympics. In, I want the U.S. to win. But but the rules are the rules. Right. They were properly followed. She admits as much, which to her credit, I, I, I loved her responses. But So let's change the rules going forward. But exactly. Sorry.
2: Exactly. And that's what I said, you know, from a black, from for, for me as a black man and come from the black community and seeing everybody like, oh, well, this is another thing to hold a black. It's not. She broke the rules. And I'm looking at it this way you didn't just let yourself down, you let your country down and your team. You represent a team when you go to the Olympics. You represent this country. So, yes, I understand and I'm sympathetic to her thing. But like I said, the rules are the rules. And it's not like. And, and, and then people forget, if you read this story, she was allowed three months to, to grieve. She was allowed. She had some things that was given to her to, for this time, and she still blew it. Still blew it. Ken, go ahead real quick. All right. All
3: right. I, I'm going to simply say, look, I think we need to apply some historical construct to this. It's two historical constructs we need to apply. Number one, the International Olympic Committee and the U.S. Olympic Committee both have a very, very sad history when it comes to racism and sexism. They have. They've openly discriminated against athletes of color, and especially women. They've been doing that for years. years. Number one. Number two, marijuana legislation has always been aimed at the radical left and the urban, urban underclass. And I'm sorry, this wasn't a PED. This wasn't performance-enhancing drug. Marijuana is legal in a number of states. I think this is a simple case of using an elephant gun to hunt mice. If you wanted a popper for using marijuana, which is a sedative, which actually would slow your performance down, not enhance it, fine. Yell at her, write her up. But th- this is now. This is again, when you have that doping scandal with the Russians did, and you have the doping scandals going, going on, and them. Those people were barred. None of them were barred. And this, no, this is bad. This is the bad image thing. Nope, Slap yeah. her upside the head. Tell her not to do it. Put her on probation. Am I, am I fading in and out?
2: Yeah, you were. You're back. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep, we can
3: hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Well, okay. I think again. This. This is bad. This is something the U.S. Olympic Committee and the and the International Olympic Committee didn't need, and that's why he's getting involved. Here, but but here's the thing:
0: everything actually, Ken said when you have great,
3: this huge scandal going on, is,
0: everything Ken said is a great you know, argument going on with, why the with, rules just legalized. The rules should be changed. Right. Yes. I mean, we, 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 yes. we, We've had this debate over legalization for medical purposes, for recreational purposes. We, we've made that argument. But the bottom line is, you know, all those all, all that's valid, except for the fact that she knew the rules. She was weeks away from the Olympics. And so this is not about sexism or racism. This is about you got you tested positive on the eve of the Olympic Games, knowing the rules. And so I agree that the rules should be changed because you're right. It's not a piece That's the important distinction, and so she's not banned for life. She's not suspended for a year. She was only suspended for a month, which is consistent with the rules. I don't like it that it happened, but it's fair.
2: Yeah, it is. So uh, we're gonna move on. Gonna get fly right through here. See, I disagree. Why
3: is it fair that you, if I, I take an narcotic that's prescribed by a doctor to help me with my stress? that and i test positive in the system that's perfectly acceptable
0: no not but if I it's take banned over by the olympic medication. committee medication right. and yeah.
3: i test positive that's not
0: No, if the Olympic committee tells you what's allowed and what's not allowed, and they may need to change that list, but that's, that's what you know. And so, you know, everybody has a good reason why they, why they do that. My doctor prescribed it. I was going through depression. I was going through this or that, and and that's fine. But, you know, we all battle things in life and it doesn't mean that we can change the rules. If I, you know, I was going through, you know, a a tough time at some point in my career, maybe it would have been great to smoke marijuana. You know what would have happened? The army would have said, here's your, you know, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out you lose your pension you lose everything no matter how long you served because you don't use drugs when you're in the military well she knew that she wasn't supposed to smoke marijuana and she knew she was being tested it's no different
2: correct all right we're gonna move on we're gonna fly through here real quick uh rudy giuliani is not getting payment from trump trump says he didn't win his (laughs) crazy cases that he hired him to put out there and oh ken where'd you go he's
0: gonna he'll come back in he had to resign because he was freezing
2: Oh, okay. All right. Let me just put this back up here. Let me go in here then when he comes back. So yeah, make sure you um, get him back in. Yeah, we'll get him back in. He can just rejoin. Um, will Rudy flip? Did you know that the the relationship's broken down? They're coming after Rudy right now. He's been suspended. He's you know, the feds are on him right now. Will he flip on Trump, do you think? Real quick. No. Wow, really? You don't think he's gonna flip on him, huh? You think he's gonna take you think he's gonna sit on that sword? I think if
0: he flips on Trump, he winds up admitting to even more wrongdoing oh okay. because because at the end of the day he could blame Trump for all of it, but he was the attorney, and he 's the one that violated oh. the legal and professional standards. go ahead
2: breaking news Eric Adams has won the new york primary yeah that's Democrat. no that 's no
0: surprise. He was ahead, so that 's the right answer as far as how the votes were cast
2: so uh, go ahead, finish that question that comment I, I was just going to say that. I, I think that
0: when it comes to this particular issue, Trump, you know, loses the moral ground, uh, but Giuliani is the one who violated the, the legal and professional uh, issues. And if he was to, you know, to say, "Oh yeah, I did all these bad things, but Trump told me to do it," uh, I don't know that that gets Giuliani off off the hook. Uh, and and so yeah, you know is, is it any I, I was going to let Ken go first, but he was signing back in to get unfrozen so I'll, <laughs> I'll defer to Ken in a moment. he probably has a better answer than I do on this but i I would say this. Um, as far as, you know, Trump not paying Giuliani, he doesn't pay anybody. This is what he's done for decades. And anybody in New York City, to include Giuliani, knows that Trump never pays the people he hires. This is if you wonder why the, the, the district attorney and the attorney general and everybody are going after the Trump organization right now, it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with decades and decades before he ever came down the escalator, before he ever expressed an interest in politics of screwing the people he hired and then not paying them and so Giuliani is the 120th victim of this scheme
1: <laughs> that's so true. guess what that's Giuliani so true. never
0: never expected to get paid he it, never expected to get paid that's true I'm sorry Ken go ahead I'm glad the, you're the, back in the I question was that.
2: was uh, will Rudy flip and and our squid seems to think no he's not because he's gonna have to answer for a lot well, more feed so just break it out real quick very quickly uh you- Oh,
3: yes, man. I expect really Giuliani to flip any day now. Uh, can, you yep, because, someone, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear?
2: Yes, we can. Oh, hear me,
3: okay. Yes, I expect Giuliani to flip because he's a former prosecutor. He knows how the system works. You flip to get a better deal, so you can turn on someone else. As for Trump not paying Giuliani, as Rob said, that's his MO for the past forty years. That's Anyone right. who does business with this man knows that. And, and he, if you don't, you're an idiot.
2: He wrote it in the out-of-deal. I think in the out-of-deal he even so, mentioned if he's not remember, happy with work, he doesn't pay. Right.
3: And I'm I i, I actually, when I'm from Jersey, and I knew contractors who actually refused to work for the Trump organization because of that. Yeah, they
2: knew sure. they weren't going right. right. to get paid. Right. Right. They refused to work with them. All right. tell people, I mean, no, don't work for them. All right, let's move along quickly here. Uh, recent Trump org legal issues, theatrics guys. I know. I'll let our squid into that one. I feel like it's just theatrics going through the motions.
0: Oh yeah, look, there's overwhelming evidence. The problem is these are very minor charges. However, there are more charges coming. And, and so, you know, yeah, OK, they didn't they didn't declare taxes on, you know, the, the car that he was given, the apartment that he was given and all that. And that that is serious. I mean, it amounts to, to millions of dollars over the 15 years that they have records of this. And, and if you think that, you know, Trump's defense of I didn't know, didn't matter. They had two sets of books, folks, two sets of books. When you keep two sets of books, it means, you know, that your one set of books is False. So there's overwhelming evidence of this case. The problem is I want to see far more serious charges because this is not worth much
2: right now. Al Capone had two sets of books. He went to jail for it. (laughs) He went to jail for tax evasion. He didn't go to jail for
0: murder, for robbery, for all the serious stuff he did. I don't want Trump to go to jail for tax evasion. I want to see accountability for this criminal organization for the things over 40 years that we all know that he
2: did. All right, moving on to the next question real quick. I'm going to give this one to Ken. Uh, what case are they really try to build against Trump? They've, you know, these smaller cases, they're kind of throwing them out the court. I feel like that they're trying to build up and get him on some bigger, bigger fish to fry type stuff. Uh, is that what we're kind of seeing here? Yeah. Yes, you are. This is
3: how the legal system works. They go after the little fish first, they get something on them, and they turn them. So I think what people need to be is, this is a slow burn. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is how you get people. They get people on smaller cases. And I also think it's also what we call beating the bush because, you know, they're trying to build up some momentum. You can't take someone like Donald Trump out with a single shot. You got to build up to the next stage. I think this is, what, this is the primary stage. This is the first round. Stay tuned, boys and girls, because this is about to get real interesting real quick.
2: All right. We got about 10 minutes left. we got to be off before Maddie C's show comes on. Uh, heading into Biden bombshells, uh, Mr. Ryan, the head of the Border Patrol, um, he's been pulled from his job. He's done. Uh, the border scene it is crazy down there. It's a game of numbers. Some are now saying that this man was a Trump supporter and he wasn't doing his job effectively. Um, the thing here is, is that there's 120,000 migrants who are held at the border. For those people who are going on about all these people coming, to, they're not coming to this country. Uh, Biden raised the cap from 15,000 to 30,000. Only 30,000 people can come into this country illegally. The rest are held at the border on the Mexico side or the American side in hotels. So people, please stop with this doom and gloom scare tactic. BS about all these people coming to this country and take the jobs, and let's be real, they're not taking any jobs that most of these people are gonna work anyway. Um but before we get out of here and close out, we want to get into this AFG topic. We've got about five minutes or so to talk about that. This is Afghanistan. As you guys all know, uh Biden has ordered the, these the last of the troops to pull out of Afghanistan. Um it's now caused this huge debate saying this is a bad thing. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't one of the presidents was it didn't one of the Bushes sign an agreement that they were supposed to be there till a certain time when Obama actually tried to pull them out. They said, no, you can't because Bush had signed some type of. Yeah.
0: The the policies have changed from administration to administration. The, the you know, the, 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 Bush policy didn't work. The Obama policy didn't work. The Trump policy didn't work. And the, we'll see, you know, the Biden policy is now in, in effect. We'll see what the consequences are.
2: What is the issue of getting all the troops out? What does that cause? What does, what is the big fear?
0: I'm gonna do this quickly. This is this is obviously a very lengthy conversation, but I can really boil this down for folks. At the end of the day, there are there are a couple of major things to consider. First of all, what was the end state? What were we doing there for the last 20 years? Was it to take revenge because of September eleventh? Was it to defeat the Taliban? Was it to destroy the Taliban? Was it to create Afghanistan as an independent representative government with government institutions or was it something else? Uh, Did we defeat the Taliban? Arguably, to some extent, we did. Did we destroy it? Absolutely not, obviously, because they're still there and they still hold a lot of ground. Did we create Afghanistan as an independent state? No. Should we? That's under debate. So the fact of the matter is. Nobody for 20 years, including the military, including the planners in the Pentagon, including the administrations in Washington, including the members of Congress, nobody can tell the American people, other than the initial response in 2001, which was great, what our mission was in Afghanistan and what does success look like? What is victory? What makes it over? And so when people have been saying, some of these pundits, who I normally agree with, have been talking about how could we possibly leave right now, the Taliban is going to be able to take over again, the Taliban is going to be able to oppress women and close the schools, and there'll be no more government institutions and, and all the calamities that are going to happen. And I'm not insensitive to that. Some of that very well may happen. My response is this. First of all, we've been there for 20 years. How many more years does it take to win the first war that it started in 2001? Okay, the terrorist attacks in 9-11 was 2000, 9-11, 2001. And by November, we had military forces in Afghanistan uh, attacking the Taliban. And then those forces went you know, in greater numbers and pushed the Taliban back. And here's the thing do the afghan do the afghan people want an independent national government there is no national consensus on that is the country capable of having the type of independent government institutions that we take for granted in the western world no they have shown no interest in that as a national people they are much more aligned and and uh, and loyal to the regional tribal alliances, which they the way they've existed for hundreds of years. You can't just go in and tell them to abandon that. Those tribal alliances have been their way of life for centuries. And we've done nothing to change that mindset. And so here's the thing. We've been there for 20 years. Do you want to stay there for 20 more years? Do we want to spend 50 more trillion dollars to stay there indefinitely? to to fulfill this fallacy that afghanistan could be some independent nation like india or, or some other you know uh, democracy in in the area when that's not when there's no evidence to suggest that that's what the people want or that the country is able to do and so yes, it would have been great long before now to have an independent Afghanistan that could be part of the world community and, and having viable elections and government institutions. And we don't have to worry about uh, you know Muslim extremists killing women who just want an education or whatever. But it, But at what point do you say that we've been here long enough? And so to these pundits and these politicians, the ones that i'm seeing on tv you know attacking the biden decision okay what if it's your kids that have to go to afghanistan next year to fulfill this mission what if it's your kids that lose their limbs what if it's your kids that die what if it's your kids that come back with all kinds of physical or mental health challenges you know it's one thing to do that when we have a war to fight i proudly wore that uniform i went to iraq i was prepared to go to Afghanistan. And the fact of the matter is every member of the military is a volunteer, and every one of us was proud to wear the uniform and go fight where we needed to fight. But the one thing we would say to our government leaders is, don't waste us. Don't send us to die a needless death. That's the only thing service members ask for. Well, at this point, Afghanistan is a needless death because nobody could tell us what our policy is. Nobody could tell us what victory looks like. One final point, because I don't want to monopolize this. One final point. Right before I retired, I retired in 2016, 2015, I was supposed to go to Afghanistan. And I was willing to do that because my boss, the commanding general, where I was assigned was going to go. And if he goes, I go. Then they downgraded it to a task force led by a a lower ranking officer. So I was no longer going because my boss doesn't go. I stay where my boss goes. And, And so I was preparing a team from my office to go with this smaller package. Bottom line is this, and I can't talk about it because it's classified, but I can talk about it generally in this regard. Okay? Uh, they couldn't tell us what the planning was and all of that, but at some point they let us into the secured area you know, where it's protected. You can have you know, discussions, and we sat through a three-hour presentation on what the Afghanistan strategy was going to be for that mission. Let me tell you something. I'm glad it was classified. It was classified to protect the military planners in the Pentagon from the embarrassment for the stupidity of that plan, okay? It was stupid. It was convoluted. Nobody understood it. You wanna know why? Because there was no plan. They didn't want people to be able to understand it because they just wanted to say they had a plan so they could keep going there, all right? And so they went there. Thankfully, the the people that went from my organization all came back okay. But the bottom line was I sat there and and I listened to the so-called strategy for Afghanistan 2015, and there wasn't one. It was ridiculous. I know because I sat through it. And so at that point, I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. We need to get out now. And from, from about 2016 forward, I've said either identify a realistic target that we can achieve or pull us the heck out. And they have not yet identified anything we could possibly do to stay there to achieve any semblance of a victory in Afghanistan. We have wasted, wasted, especially if the Taliban take over, we have wasted trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Do you want to know why the Soviet Union lost the Cold War? It wasn't because they were scared of Ronald Reagan's words. It was because they invaded Afghanistan and went bankrupt. And guess what? We're about to go bankrupt. you know what our national debt is? And do you know how much of our national debt is based on the money we spent going to Afghanistan for 20 <clears throat> years? Do you know how many trillions and trillions of dollars, not to mention the cost of lives and everything else from the, from the you know brave servicemen and women that have come back? We're about to go bankrupt. We're about to go the way of the Soviet Union. And you know who's winning in Afghanistan? China. They are going there and making deals with the Afghan leaders to harvest their mineral wealth. China's doing that, not us. Are you kidding me? We're going we're gonna to continue to send American service members over to Afghanistan to, to come back, you know, well, hopefully come back at all, but either be killed, wounded, or come back with the scars of war so that China can get Afghanistan's mineral wealth? Give me a break. This is the biggest farce I've ever seen, and the people in the Pentagon who are responsible for it, and I have a lot of respect for a lot of Pentagon leaders. I think General Austin was the right choice for Sector. I have tremendous respect for him. I have respect for other people in the Pentagon, but the people over 20 years that have been involved in this planning, embarrassment.
2: Look, I ain't saying nothing. I'm leaving it right there because I'm just a civilian. I can't speak on this from a military aspect or, or political, I think, I'm just leaving it right there with that one. I'm I'm ready to get out of here. Ken, anything you want to add? Or you think that's the way that? That's it. You to, <laughs> he went diesel <laughs> yeah,
3: very quickly.
2: I, like like
3: yeah, I like to remind the, the man who was just speaking is a 24 year veteran of the army and has been to every shithole place on this globe without complaints and has suffered physically and psychological injuries, which he will not talk about because he's just you know it's part of the mission. You, you you muster up when you move out, regardless of the problem. But I'll say that. That And one other thing. The Afghanistan, and to historians, is known as the graveyard of empires for a goddamn reason. Every major power has gone in there over the past three centuries to remake it in in their image, has failed miserably. And I don't care who it is, the British, the French, the Germans for like five five seconds, the Persians, going back to biblical biblical times, who forget, Uh, the Pakistanis and the Indians, us, Russia, Soviet Union, whatever you want to call them, and even I think China is going to find themselves in the short end of the stick after all. It's just not a place that can be tamed. And I am not, I, I think the Taliban are horrible. I think they should all burn in hell. But I'm not going to waste one American service man, woman, or child so we can make Afghanistan into New Jersey. Ain't going to happen, but <laughs> not on this, in this lifetime.
2: Hey, I got to thank everybody for coming on this show. I got to get ready to take us out of here so we can get over and watch Maddie C Sports for you and me. Uh, if you guys see the Sinister One beanies, I donated a few of those beanies to Maddie C's Epilepsy Foundation raffle that he's got going on, so you want to make sure you check him out. Uh, There are the photos of all those guys. I got to thank my guys here for coming on the show with us. Um, Ken Diesel, R-Squid, another great show. As I said at the beginning of the show, first Tuesday of every month these guys are going to be on. First Tuesday of every month, so set your dials, set your calendars. Political, legal talk, and the Biden bombshells will be what we talk about tomorrow night. Mayor Robert Sullivan will be on the show. Guys, I want to thank you for coming on this show tonight. Um, I'm going to let you go around the horn and say your goodbyes. I squared. I'm going to go with you first.
0: Yeah, real quick. I've said a lot tonight already. Thank everybody for listening. I'm very excited about this uh, monthly uh, program that we're going to do. I- I'm honored to be part of it, and I look forward to these conversations.
2: Ken Diesel? having internet issues right again now.
3: <laughs> thank all of our listeners all 12 of them i do apologize my internet is having some problems it's not sinister one this i gotta <laughs> i gotta own the problem with my internet i will fix it by next month i do promise so this one was most of the time we bust on sinister one for the technical problems but no this was me hey the rest of you guys you know be cool be safe we'll see you next month
2: all right do me a favor guys see you here in the month uh Oscar Mike Radio and Maddie C Sports for you and me, happy hour with Lido, talk back with Gloria Shea, um, all under the Sinister One production umbrella. Spongebob, do me a favor, take us home. Well,
3: see you next Tuesday.
1: Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and Radio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast
3: at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One.
2: I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and
1: understand politics instead. It's just that I'm up on this level up here, and all my friends are down here. Me, nah. you guys, meow. Maybe a little more down, down in here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick my main we stick together true forever yeah you know we bang i miss those days which was easy if only i
0: made it don't no repeat now that i done upgraded i've been upstate but y'all think i'm playing and i gotta hit now for these weak assholes who think i ain't playing
1: try me try me probably end up laughing cause I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit. It's like I am home now. I ain't hood. I ain't get tired of fussing, and fighting. And guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me on everything. I'ma have to bring the whole city out. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O. That's a wizard.com. Need your website. Need your website. Need your website. Need your website.